Good evening to our valued listeners. My name is Chilochashen Nicolet Mure, and today we're having a discussion on fintech in Africa. We are trying to have a conversation around the insights onto how the fintech uh, industry or sector is affected or impacted Africa. So with me today, there are three panelists. We have Christine, who's usually the moderator for such discussions, and uh, Pooja, and also Sias. So I'm going to leave it to the panelists to introduce themselves briefly. Uh, so that we can get into the discussion. I'll start with uh, Pooja, then I'll go to Sia and lastly, Christian. Thank you so much, Chido, for the opportunity. And thanks so much, uh, Christine. So briefly, my name is Albert Pooja. But again, you can just call me Pooja as Chido has done already. I am a, a legal practitioner. I've been practicing actively for roughly about six years now. And uh, interestingly, my area of practice cuts across labor and employment, intellectual property, and more recently, data protection, fintech, what have you. So I'm uh, really looking forward to the discussion today. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Thank you, Chido and Christine. Um, I'm Sia Aiden. I'm a lawyer. I'm actually quite excited to discuss this. It's an area which I'm really, really interested in. And uh, it's been, being an African, it's a, uh, it's been interesting to see as we grow how it changes. Um, glad to have this conversation with you guys. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity, everyone. And my name is Christine. I'm also a lawyer and I practice tax law. And this is quite a topic of interest to me. And it will be great to have this discussion so that I can learn more from uh, my fellow panelists on this topic of fintech in Africa. Chido? Thank you so much, guys, for such a brief introduction. So as I've stated earlier, our conversation is going to be mainly centered on how fintech has impacted or will potentially impact Africa. So I'm going to start by giving a brief uh, background to the discussion and then pose a question for the panelists to sort of explain to us their own understanding of fintech, how it has impacted the, the continent, and also maybe high the potential challenges or opportunities for specific countries. So, uh, so basically, development in the financial service sector has always pace, uh, kept pace with development in technology. And if we look in the 19th century, the business of banking was disrupted and globalized uh, through the introduction of the telegraph. And in the mid-20th century, we saw the coming in of credit cards and, and, and all these other things. In the 1960s, we actually witnessed the first um, automated teller machine, which is also known as which some scholars and close followers of FinTech are considering to be FinTech 1.0. So from that, we can actually see that the financial firms have always been early adopters of technology. And currently, there is so much buzz around the fourth industrial revolution, which brought about a number of what are being termed disruptive technologies. And by that, we are talking about artificial intelligence, blockchain, which happens to be my favorite, uh, big data, robotic process automation, and so forth. And these also, as I've mentioned, have left uh, an impact or are making an impact on the financial service sector. So uh, but there is a report that was actually published by KPMG, which stated that in 2020 only, the global fintech investment was sitting at 105 billion uh, 105 billion US dollars 
And for Africa only, the investment dramatically increased in the past five years and is currently at 23 billion. So that's actually a very huge amount if you look at it. And I mean, it becomes such a worthy topic to talk about and, and really get to understand how that 23 billion is really affecting the continent. What are the opportunities? What are the challenges? So I'm going to start with Pooja. If you could uh, possibly give us your understanding of uh, FinTech. Uh, and also maybe in, in that context, you might want to also give us examples of um, FinTech in, in, in Africa, the traces of FinTech in Africa and African countries, uh, maybe on the investments that we, have talk, we, we are talking about and the opportunities that uh, arise as a result of fintech. Over to you, Pooja. Uh, just to kind of uh, give an overview of what fintech is or how can we define fintech. So I think the starting points, as we usually find in most of that discourse, is that whole broad or generic statement that there is no uniform or collective definition, so to say, of a particular subject. So that also applies to fintech quite uh, it's not surprisingly so though, but again, we've been unable to find an exhaustive definition that can tell all that FinTech is all about. But in its broadest sense, right, there are two activities that we need to put hand in hand. One is finance or financial activity, right? And then the other is now technology. The best way to understand what financing is or what financial activity would involve is to look at the financial services industry. But again, let's just take note that the financial services industry, when it comes to issues of fintech, right, you might have it linking to other industries. But in a nutshell, the financial services industry would involve four primary markets or players. So you have the banks, you have insurance, you have pension, and then you also have the securities market. So again, a discussion on fintech can not be done without recognizing those four broad industries and the activities that happen there. And then technology itself, which again, I think the simplest way to define it is anything that makes life better. So now drilling it down to how can we define fintech, the truth is, as I've earlier mentioned, no one has been able to give a very exhaustive definition, right? What we do most time is to just see that Fintech involves finance and technology. So we contract those two words together and then we call it fintech. But when you look at literature, what uh, I say scholars have written, even uh, reputable institutions, the IMF and all of that, you would see that there is a trend, right? There are different approaches that have been adopted over time in terms of how fintech can be defined. So some of these approaches, there are at least four approaches that we can see. So one is the content-based approach. So the content-based approach is, again, I think I've spoken to that definition. So it speaks to the fact that financial technology or fintech just involves that combination of how technology operates in the financial sector or financial industry, as the case may be. But that definition by itself is also a bit quite limited because as we know, fintech spreads to other industries. So you also have finance involved in transportation you also have in the health sector you have rich tech and all of that so it goes beyond that you also have the objective based kind of definition so the objective based kind of definition is akin to what again most of us here are lawyers again we understand the mischief rule right so the law came to cure something that was there before so people would want to define fintech in terms of what 
fintech came to rectify. So again, before, before if you want to make a payment to someone, you would walk into a bank, fill a teller before the amount of money will be passed across to the other person. But now with your mobile phone and all of that, you can simply do that. So fintech has come to make things a lot much easier and all of that. So you see definitions around that object base. Uh, another way is effect base. So effect base now looks at disruption. And this is where I think we talk so much about the banking sector. So you'd hardly see, if you see four or three articles on fintech, one would be about the impact that it has had on the banking sector. So definitions that are effect based, the effects based kind of definitions will seek to uh, make reference, right, to how fintech has come to disrupt the market and disrupt the industry, how new players, startups are coming up and all of that. I think I find the definition by the Financial Stability Board quite very exhaustive. I think we can make reference to that. They gave a definition recently that is very, very extensive. And uh, maybe I'll take that lastly as the guiding definition that would, will I say, uh, be adopted for our discussion. And then there's also the process-based approach. So the process-based approach kinds of speak to the, the, those definitions will tell you how fintech happens. So they will, they, will, they will speak to the beginning and the end. So what you would see across this definition is the fact that you need technology to be able to achieve the objectives of fintech. And then you also need technology to be able to access those services that are available on that fintech platforms. So more or less, it's like back-to-back -back technology using to deliver the service and then technology also being used to use the service. So on that note, I think I've summarized those four approaches and then just to briefly, will I say, read out what that definition by the Financial Stability Board says. It says fintech is a technologically enabled financial innovation that could result in new business models, applications, processes, products or services within an associated with an associated material effect on financial markets and institutions and the provision of financial services. So this is one of the most exhaustive definition of uh, let's say fintech that you would find in literature and it kind of accommodates all those approaches that uh, we briefly mentioned, the content-based, the objective-based, the effect-based and also the process-based approach to defining fintech. So thank you. Wow, that was amazing. Thank you so much for such uh, a comprehensive definition. I've already taken notes. Uh, maybe, Sia, if you could put your own perspective on how fintech has impacted the continent as a whole or selective countries that you can give as case studies. Then after that, we can hear from Christine from a tech's perspective. How can she place fintech? How is it uh, impacted the, the continent? Maybe while you're answering the question, Sia, you might also want to flag out the opportunities that are present as a result of fintech uh, or the challenges that the continent gets to face as a result of um, fintech. Over to you, Sia. Thank you, Chido. For starters, I would say that, as usual, as it said, has uh, Albert said, has, in, has he defined it very well that, okay, fintech might have come as a disruptive, but I feel like it's a good disruption. Currently in Africa, I wouldn't, I would give a few case studies, but in Africa as a total, fintech has been like a great solution because there are things that on a normal basis were impossible to, to get through or to get, to give access. Um, a good thing is, let me give you an example. In the whole of, I think in the whole globally, Africa has more 
financial inclusion in terms of mobile payments compared to other parts, as in they have really worked so well. Example, M-Pesa in Kenya, in Tanzania. I think Uganda also has one. So the fact that people can send money easily in Africa without using internet, without, without being able to do a whole transfer, it has been, has been an amazing thing. Not only that, in our African countries, we, we had a tendency of buying electricity. You had to make a queue to go buy electricity. But this has, been, this has been made so easy that you can actually buy electricity from your phone. No need of making a queue. I personally, growing up um, in Tanzania, we, you'd have to, your parent would send you with money and your card to go buy electricity. But then right now, you, you can simply just do it over the phone. And not, not only in terms of electricity and maybe making finance easier, also agriculture. It was hard, for mostly for African agriculturalists like farmers, to get, to get loans. So all this crowdfunding that fintech has brought, peer-to-peer um, -peer funding, it has really enabled people like farmers to actually get loans. So fintech currently has made it possible for the things that we thought were very hard. Like right now, I'll give you an example. There's a there's an organization in in Tanzania. I think it's also expanding. It's uh, it deals with it's agritech. It's it deals with farmers. So it gives it it measures it uh, connects the farmers with the with people with the buyers. So it's like a middle person, and all it connects it gives a whole it gives a market in the internet. You no longer have to actually outsource go to go go maybe to the market, but you can easily just get your stuff from the internet digitally to be delivered at home. Farmers can actually get buyers of what they produce digitally so not only that it also has made it easy for banks to actually lend them because for a farmer most of the farmers don't have how they how they actually put their how do I put how they actually put their accounts i think christine you 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 probably know this um they would they just write it they put their ledger on a book they write it down they don't know all this about bank accounts and all that because it's usually complicated. And for a bank to actually lend you money, they have to see, they have to see a history of how you've been making. It can't just be from books. So fintech has really been has really been great. It has it has enabled people. It has access. It has given people access to finance, access to access to food, access to health. Right now, there's an app in Kenya, which I think it's called Afia Record, whereby you can just record everything about your health. It gives you details about your health. It also, what else does Afia Record do? It, it, it actually does a lot. So coming from you have to have a file as a medical record, you can actually have it on your phone. This is, this, I, I would say that FinTech has done so well. 
and okay, without everything is it might be everything is good and fairy, but also in Africa, the banks are suffering. The banks have have got someone, if you think has been someone who actually competes, makes the bank compete with them. On some banks have tried to manage, um, they have reduced maybe their cost, the transaction cost and whatnot, but still the banks are are, the banks are struggling. Some are struggling. Some are not. They're struggling to get to. They're struggling to get fintech, to get to how fintech innovators are. How do I put this? How they're competing with the fintech innovators. But the only problem that fintech has brought is that the banks no longer have customers. I'd rather just do it over the phone instead of going to a bank. So the bank has to think twice of how to retain their customer. They're always going to have customers, but they're those customers that usually, you know, bring in small, but if there are plenty of them, it becomes something that's that's profitable. And not only that, the regulation around it doesn't permit the banks to go further. So it actually aids fintech investors, fintech startups more. Um this is this is as much as I can say. I'll hand it over to you, Chido. Thank you so much, Sia. You raised very important uh, points. You spoke about financial inclusion, uh, and you singled out mobile money, which is something that we are going to come back to and have a conversation around also. And you spoke about um, incumbents versus entrants, which is uh, one of the biggest challenges that most people are not paying particular attention to. So yeah, that was, thank you so much. Uh, over to you, Christian. Please, can you tell us about FinTech from a tech perspective? How does Africa get to benefit or what are the, the, the pitfalls that we might need to pay attention to? Over to you, Christian. Okay, thank you, Chido. And uh, I like what she has highlighted on how much uh, FinTechs have benefited uh, the population uh, across Africa. But the thing also to say is that for governments, one quick way the low-hanging fruit of these businesses is to tax them because you know they want the tax revenue to run the administrations and to fund the government budget so one of the biggest conversations that's happening world over is how not just to tax fintechs but how to tax digital businesses because as you can imagine a bank which was a brick in the brick and mortar economy you'd go to the bank ask them for their records look through them as a revenue authority and tax them. Right now, let's say someone has developed an app uh, which is being used for crowdfunding or that kind of thing. First of all, for the just the revenue authorities to be able to track uh, these transactions happening on these platforms, to be able to even apply, let's say, value-added tax or goods and sales tax on such transactions is, is very difficult. But then also at the same time, to even uh, be able to track how much revenue the app itself is drawing in is also difficult because uh, you see most of the transactions happen in real time and most of them are numerous uh, transactions happening. So even to track them and decide and come up with the revenue uh, that's being generated on the app may be a problem. But also that the other thing to say is that most digital businesses and fintechs, I would think, are in a very early stage. So in terms of right now, they could the initial cost of developing them is quite high. And before they even make enough revenue for taxation, it's a problem. So on that other side, there's also 
can be aggressive taxing of these businesses in such a way that give and hinder their growth. So there's, there's a balance that needs to be arrived at between the government and uh, the, uh, the businesses. Because if you tax them too much, then they may not even be able to exist too long in the market and so to supply disadvantages that they're supplying. As we noted in our report uh, given by, I forget which institution did it, is that most must be OECD. Like for most digital businesses, even even a business like Netflix, for the years it has existed, it hasn't broken even to make uh, profits. And it's because it's very capital intensive for these businesses and before they recover even the cost and now make a profit, it takes a while. So again, with the discussion of tax, uh, those are the other considerations, I would say. And then finally, the thing I would say is that increasingly what's going to happen across Africa's tax administrations, which they need to take into account, is that tax compliance has to be voluntary because you cannot track these businesses to tax them. And the situation gets even more uh, complicated when you start using cryptocurrencies and that kind of thing, payments where the government has even no control of the money itself that's exchanging on the platforms. And so it has to be voluntary. Like the fintechs have to, the government has to, has to uh, you know, strike a balance and ask uh, like what regulation from a tax perspective supports you so that it's more from a supportive side and they're complying voluntarily uh, instead of from a punitive side or trying to get as much as you can from these businesses before they're even making profits. Because the more it's almost like it's a chase. Uh, the fintech and digital businesses will be running as far away from the tax administration and the tax administration will be chasing them. But when there's a bit more consensus where there's a meeting to ask how much money are you making, what support do you need, how long do you need before you break even, then after that, come voluntarily and declare your tax revenues to us. Chido, those are the comments I have. That's, that's very interesting. Uh, I'm going to shift the conversation a little bit so that we look at uh, financial inclusion. Like I said earlier, when Sia mentioned it, it's something that I, I, I feel is very important to talk about. So I'm just going to give you guys a little bit of statistics and I'm going to ask uh, the questions. In 2011, the level of financial inclusion in sub-Saharan Africa was over 23%, a little over 23%. But in 2017, it actually rose to almost 43%. And this was the significant increase was as a result of digital financial services. The launch and growth of digital financial services in Africa generally has led to an unprecedented increase in the number of people that are enjoying access to financial services. And I would say that for effect, being Zimbabwe, that's very true because there was a point uh, in, our, in, our, in, the, in our economy, I think it was from 2013 going up to 2020, where cash was something that was so, like it was, it was unheard of. And we then had the biggest telecom company, which is Econet, coming in and introducing EcoCash, which became uh, the mobile money platform that everybody was using. So we started using EcoCash for everything, including paying for tomatoes as the lady who sits by the street corner. So it, at that moment, we could actually realize how much FinTech had uh, positively impacted the people that are, or what are ordinarily called the historically are. Uh, financially excluded groups. So I'm going to ask Pooja from the Nigerian perspective, right? I'm, I'm looking at a, a Nigerian market, a fintech market, which 
managed to raise about 600 million uh, in funding, basically 22% of all the funds that, it, funds that had been raised for African startups, right? But still, we are told that Statue Society still has about 40% of people that are financially excluded. So I'm asking from your perspective, do you think that the 40% the margin has shrunk or is significantly shrinking because of the adoption of digital technologies within the financial service sector? And we're looking at Nigeria being one of the largest economies in Africa and also having one of the biggest fintech uh, how can I put fintech sectors, so to say, of or many firms in the, within the African continent? So, wh how do you feel about fintech and financial inclusion from your country's perspective? You can also give examples of other countries, but I would want to hear from from the, from an East African, from a West African perspective. Uh, over to you, Pujo. Thank you so much for that uh, very, I say, useful and uh, important question that uh, you asked. Uh, the question would, to a very large extent, uh, be linked to one of the approaches that I used in maybe defining fintech or one of the approaches that I said, if you look at literature, you'd see that they've used it to kind of define uh, fintech. And that is the objective-based approach, right? Or the mischief-based approach, if you want to call it that. So why did fintech come? to be in place for in the first place. So definitely when we tie that to financial inclusion, what you would typically see, and will I say drilling it down specifically to Nigeria and maybe extending it to West Africa as a whole, what you would see is that the traditional financial services providers, right? We are unable to deliver financial services and products to all and sundry. And issues on financial inclusion, you have two key persons that you make reference to. So you make reference to businesses, and by businesses, I mean SMEs. And then you also make reference to individuals and maybe families and all of that. So the question then is, the coming of fintech, right? The objective of fintech in terms of ensuring that this small and medium-sized enterprises, businesses, and all of that, as well as individuals that did not have access, right, to, will I say, the traditional financial services providers, have they kind of improved in terms of access to these financial services and products? And definitely, I think the answer is in the positive, right? The answer would be yes. Uh, the experience that uh, CR spoke to in Tanzania and other parts of uh, East Africa is not very far from what we've also experienced in Nigeria and, let's say, West Africa. So definitely, you have these products in place that have been have made it possible for businesses and individuals to have access to financial services and products that they were not able to access in the past. So I think a typical example and something that has worked very well in Nigeria is like agent banking. So agent banking is just a structure that enables, let's say, banking services to reach rural areas and all of that. So it's worked very well in Nigeria. I wouldn't say that uh, mobile money has worked as well as it has in Nigeria, as well as it has worked in other parts of Africa, especially maybe Kenya and Tanzania. But nevertheless, I think we've had a lot of benefits. 
from agent banking. So in the past, you have communities or rural areas that did not actually have, like the ATMs or did not have uh, bank branches there. But with the agent banking arrangements in place, you have agents all over the places. I've even be, I've been a beneficiary of that. I know uh, I was traveling to a particular place and uh, I needed money and there was an agent there that I could make transfers to and the person gave me cash and all of that. So definitely in that respect, I, I would say yes, that we've achieved that level of uh, financial inclusion, especially for individuals, so businesses. Uh, Nigeria has had a thriving crowdfunding uh, and why do I say that? And how has that also contributed to improving the whole experience of financial inclusion. So before now, as an SME, if you want to have access to financing from the bank, you definitely need some requirements because most of the financing that you get from banks are, uh, like say, financial statements banked or collateral backed and all of that. So you have most SMEs that do not have access to those kind of requirements. So they do not have those conditions that the banks would typically want before they will have access to finance similarly they do not usually have will i see the resources or they do not have that popularity to be able to also access like the capital markets and all of that to raise financing but with crowdfunding peer-to-peer funding platforms coming up we're seeing that uh, quite a number of smes are able to have access to financing but again that is not to say so yes definitely we say yes uh, we've achieved reasonable success but that is not to say that everything is perfect uh, more uh, more work still has to be done. And I think that is where regulation comes in. So the little success that we seem to have achieved might be cut short by regulation. So I don't know if you've been following the developments in, in, in Nigeria, you would see that, that we've had issues in terms of cryptocurrency being banned. And then also you would see that uh, some of the operating licenses, and would like say capital requirements of fintech operators has increased and then we also have a situation where you you have crowdfunding now being regulated and in terms of the regulation you have some will i say regulatory bottlenecks here and there in terms of uh will i say the capital that needs to be maintained by these fintech startups or fintech companies that run those crowdfunding platforms so definitely we've achieved success yes in terms of financial inclusion but i think uh Again, regulation seems to be stepping in the way of us for that shrinking that 40% or so that Chido made reference to. So, yeah, that is what it is for now. So, and then it now leads to another question to regulate or not to regulate. But I think definitely, I don't know whether you're going to take us to that part of the conversation, but yeah, in a nutshell, that is what has been the experience in Nigeria in terms of financial technology promoting financial inclusion. Thank you so much. Wow. Thank you so much. And please do hold that thought that you have when it comes to regulation, because I'm going to come back on the next round of questions and I will be asking you uh, your perspective with regards to regulation, the regulatory challenges that exist, and if there are probably any proposals that you would make so that we, we make the regulatory uh, safe space for uh, safe for all the, the new entrants, but at the same time, while making sure that you know we, we protect the consumers and we also um, safeguard the, the incumbents that are already within the sectors. Uh, now I'm going to come back to come to you, Sia, and ask you again on financial inclusion, but now from a perspective of 
the gender divide, right? So there has been conversations around how technology in the, in the, in the financial service sector was supposed to broaden access to financial services and help um, sort of eliminate economic inequality, uh, particularly between men and women. But so far, the explosion that has happened has failed to narrow that gap that exists between men and women when it comes to access to finance and, and financial products. There was a survey that was conducted by Catalyst uh, Fund, which indicated that women were estimated to be only about 25% of all customer of, of the total customer base for the fintech firms that were surveyed. So I'm going to ask you, Sia, what, what do you think uh, about the gender? divide or the gender gap that is, that has always existed and now seems to have been exacerbated by uh, services, which was uh, supposed to, in a way, cushion, you know, uh, historical groups like women. So what do you think about the gender divide? Uh, maybe you can use examples from uh, Tanzania or the East African uh, community when you're looking up or, or, uh, at PESA that you mentioned earlier or any other example that you can give, but how do you feel when you think about technology and um, the gender divide when it comes to financial inclusion? Thank you very much. Um, I don't know about the calculation. It's basing in Tanzania, to be honest, um, the people who are actually leading these fintech startups are women. Women are leading the fintech startups most of the fintech startups in my country um, are created and they favor women. I will not say that they are not for everyone, but coming to look at it, women are actually leading in the fintech, in the, in what I call it fin innovations, fintech innovations in my country. And I feel like maybe because of the tradition back then that, you know, women did not have access to finance traditionally back then, but then this thing has changed. I wouldn't know about other parts of Africa, but women are, have become more innovative and to, to access fintech, financial technology, compared to men. Because there's a tendency that a woman would multitask and think twice. I'm not saying that men don't do the same, and I'm not saying that there are no men out there who have a have uh, fintech startups or brought uh, innovations and whatnot. But I think the statistics might be different when it comes to my country. I, I had know a number of women who have started fintech companies, fintech startups, which are targeted for, to gender because some there's no inclusion because, because some of them may, might be in the rural areas and even though you might tell, you might give a person who's in a rural area or even in the urban area that there's a certain fintech solution that would help, but there's always that background um, idea that maybe, maybe it could be a scheme or maybe it, it can't happen because we're so used to the traditional way. That could be one of the reasons why like fintech hasn't grown so much in the gender of women. But I will give you an example. There is a, there's a fintech startup that's called Twa. So what Twa does, it's led by Irene. Her name is, yes, her name is Irene. What Twa does, it, it brings women. It, it empowers women digitally. It, it's a platform where 
a woman would actually, you'd have sponsors who would give you advice on where to go, how to go about it with the market. It opens up, it's a, it's a free platform for women to actually advertise their market because we're so used to traditionally that women have to maybe go on the street or, you know, you have to work extra hard to be seen in whatever product you have to sell. So I would say that some of these startups that are created are targeted more to women and to empower them because of the gap that has been seen. That's my take in Tanzania. But in in Africa, I would say, yes, there is a gap. And it could be because there is no awareness has to, there's no awareness as to, okay, this maybe this startup or this innovation could actually help you. And apart from apart from you know apart from awareness, I would also say <clears throat> access to it. We we have a tendency it's 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 a tendency that uh, men have more access to finance compared to women. Majority of them. Um, so for that for the woman to actually know what's going on or to know okay maybe this thing is legit and. Um, it could be easier for you. It's quicker for it's 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 quicker for a man to hear about it to you know about how the fintech compared to women. But women have a tendency most of the time to go to all these conferences. I've been in a conference where they were trying to the, it was it was a mixed gender conference and they were trying to educate a certain certain women in the market and men how to you um, how to brand their product and whatnot, but women travel from different parts of the region with their products so that they can learn this. The only thing is the access to it. The reason why there's a gap is because of the access to it. If only they were maybe given more awareness, more education on this thing, and more fintech startups that were targeted to women would be innovated more to actually help women more to have a balance then probably the gap would reduce that is my take on this wow thank you so much you know i'm so impressed that we're having this discussion because it gives us a different perspective in as much as you know the whole world is lamenting that women are have no access to these fintech products or they remain uh, excluded we also then have examples of countries like Tanzania where women are actually on the forefront, which is very impressive. Am I? So yeah, I, I can safely say there is hope for women empowerment in that, uh, in that space. Christine, I'm going to shift the conversation completely different from financial inclusion and ask you about your thoughts when, uh, on how FinTech will likely contribute to the continent, realizing the benefits of having a free trade area. So we know we have talked so many times about the African free trade area. So I, I just want to pick your mind on exactly where can we place FinTech in that whole uh, regional integration agenda, particularly when we're looking at economic development. Over to you, Christian. Uh, okay, Chido, thank you for that. And I will begin by saying, you see, the single market, the free trade area, is a very good uh, starting point for expansion of the network and to create access for like fintech. So that if it's like a startup in Tanzania, for instance, now there's an option to actually go across Africa because 
there's a larger market to target. But then uh, what I would like to say to support that, uh, the Africa Continental Free Trade Area Agreement, uh, the protocol on e-commerce hasn't been uh, like negotiated and it's uh, in the pro it to be negotiated at some point. But this thing, it needs to be done urgently because you see the discussions we are having is how fast moving uh, innovations within uh, within the digital side are moving. So there needs to be quick, uh, quick uh, protocols to regulate this, to speak about access uh, and to grant access to these uh, fintechs and also to digital businesses generally across uh, the uh, the continent. And this is important because if as a single market, uh, let's say for instance, uh, a single a small African country may not be able to have such a good uh, say or even impact on a global uh, M&A that's in the digital economy. Let's say, for instance, Amazon. So a country like Djibouti with a population of less than a million people. And uh, if Amazon were to say, you know, we are not going to supply this market because maybe of the regulations there, it's, it will be so easy because you see the market is, is not as big. But bringing uh, Nigeria with a big population, bringing South Africa, bringing Tanzania, bringing Kenya, bringing Egypt, Morocco, all these countries, bring them together and then have a single digital market that's facing the world. It's massive. It's massive. The impact that it will have even in negotiations uh, of Africa with, with other continents on uh, protocols on how to relate to the Africa digital markets will be huge. The fintechs themselves having the entire Africa continent as their base, as their target market, they would propel those uh, those businesses to great, great, great heights. And also when you think about the good that would be achieved by the populations, because you see, it's not every, uh, the there's innovation, but you see, even from the global index of the innovations across Africa, you see there are some countries that rank higher. For instance, Kenya will be ranked really high on innovations that are coming from uh, from Kenya. Uh, and uh, as compared maybe to another country within, within Africa, which is possibly not doing as much. But then you see solutions that are grown uh, that could maybe target regions within Africa might be very helpful. But then also uh, the last thing to mention is uh, as, as Africa, and speaking of development and the Africa continental free trade area, the agreements that we've spoken about Chido again and again, the, uh, on cyber security and personal data protection, because this is where it all comes in when, especially speaking about fintech and this personal data being collected, personal data being given by, by users of these platforms, and yet not many African countries, barely enough countries have ratified that uh, agreement for it to become effective. So Chido, I would say there's, there's still a lot uh, that needs to be done. And for that agenda to really be pushed forward to the point where you can say that fin the fintech and the digital businesses can quickly integrate and move forward within the Africa continental free trade area framework. Yes, those are my comments. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Christine, for that. Uh, Pooja, I'm going to come back to you, like I said, like I promised, on regulation. Right. So how is the regulatory landscape like generally? And what are the challenges when it comes to regulation? You have already started giving us the regulatory challenges in respect of Nigeria. I can also say in Zimbabwe, where the central bank decided to ban crypto assets 
in, in, in Zimbabwe. So you can't trade in, in cryptocurrency at all. It, it's, it's banned, right? So some of, the, some of the regulatory challenges we are looking at uh, as a continent. But then we have got other countries that are progressive. You know, we have got South Africa that is trying to come up with a regulatory framework that also includes uh, financial fintech firms, so to say. So what do you think about the regulatory landscape? And because of our time, may you also maybe propose for how countries could regulate fintech? What are the regulatory buffers that need to be put in place in Africa or in that are country-specific? Over to you, Albert. Thank you so much, Ido. The question is so packed, but I'll try as much as possible to, like I say, dish out my points, not taking too much time. And I think I would be drawing from what Christine has said and what Sia has mentioned. I think Christine made mention of data protection issues. So that takes our mind to the need to regulate, right? So definitely we need to regulate fintech because of the risks that are associated with it. So, and then this brings us to why do we regulate the financial industry in the first place? So again, fintech is a recent development or a recent concept, but the idea of financial services regulation has been there for a very long time. But it's also important to understand that there are peculiar risks that come with fintech that we are not even conceived at the point where financial services regulation emerged, so to say. So, but just to briefly highlight some of these risks, right? You have risks to customers or to consumers as uh, Christine mentioned data protection issues and all of that. You have fraud. You have that in place. You have risks that you also have to investors, right? And then you also have issues connected to financial stability. And then you have crime. In as much as we speak so highly of what fintech has done to the continent, at the same time, we cannot uh, act blind to the fact that fintech, some fintech products, maybe like mobile money, or even trading in uh, crypto assets and all of that have been used as conduits, right? For money laundering, for financing of terrorism and all of that. And uh, Chido, I think you can relate very well to this, even in missing voicing and all of that. So when you're doing it through digital platforms, I think it's a lot easier for you to actually achieve what you want to achieve. So definitely there are risks that are associated with FinTech, but, Again, there are also benefits that are attached to fintech, which we've mentioned. So it's about balancing it. And that's where regulation comes in. So what regulation needs to do is first to check, to check those risks. Then at the same time, ensure that we can fully unlock the opportunities that fintech provides. So it means we definitely need to regulate. And in regulating, I think the key objective should be one, you should uh, ensure that you're able to manage those risks. At the same time, the regulation should be such that encourages innovation, does not stifle innovation and all of that. So I think finding that balance is what we have seen uh, within the continent. Maybe again, you spoke to Zimbabwe. I think I've shed a bit of light on the experience we've had in Nigeria as well. So the regulatory response has been very slow. So for crypto assets or crypto uh, currencies and all of that. They've been with us for quite some time. Again, I can't recollect when Bitcoin emerged, but it's been a while. But again, it's just only recently that we are seeing our regulators responding or reacting to it. I understand innovation usually precedes regulation. So it means definitely 
the regulators will need to, pl- to play catch up. But at the same time, the response, the regulatory response has been very slow. And in some instances, you would see that some of those risks associated with uh, fintech has already happened before the regulators are trying to respond to it. So you've had instances of data breaches. You've had instances of investors, like for crowdfunding platforms and all of that. So the beneficiary of the funding <laughs> probably does not even have a good business plan and all of that. And all of those things happened and then you've invested and you've lost your money. So you've also have those, had those issues uh, come up because, again, regulation did not respond as it should. So what we've generally seen is that some countries in the continent have managed regulation well. Some have not really managed regulation well. But as a proposal, that is, I think, speaking to the second part of your question, we definitely need to have a structured and a defined regulatory approach to dealing with fintech, right? We cannot deal with fintech the way that we dealt with financial services regulation before the crisis. So before the crisis, we had an idea or a sense of what the financial industry is, banking, insurance, maybe pension can be put in there and securities market and all of that. They were very traditional. You understood them and we brought up rules, prudential risk rules, consumer protection rules and all of that. The point I'm making now is that those rules, in as much as they are useful, but they do not right, take care of the specific issues or will I say the peculiarities of fintech. So our regulators need to move from that traditional, they need to take off that lens of, okay, this is how we regulate traditional services. So they need to understand that this is a new market and that new rules need to come into place to attend to the peculiarities of that particular market in place. So that's the first thing. And then that coordination I'm speaking to is for countries that, again, I don't want to go into the discourse on types of model of financial services regulation and all of that, but in countries like Nigeria, right, where you have different regulators for different markets. So we have a regulator for banking, we have a regulator for securities you have a regulator for insurance pension and all of that so you have separate regulator so it's not like maybe in malawi where you have a unified regulator so the truth is the regulatory model in malawi might be a lot easier for you to actually deal with fintech regulation because you have one regulator responsible for regulating all aspects of the market but in places like nigeria you typically see issues where there are uh, will i say lack of coordination among regulators so to be very practical our central bank has banned cryptocurrency but our securities and exchange commission is saying that oh we recognize this asset as a tradable asset and then christine can totally uh, relate to this the tax man will always tell you that crypto asset or cryptocurrency is a property that can be taxed and all of that so you have will i say disconnected perspective within the same country of what a particular fintech product, how it should be looked at and all of that. So definitely there is a need for more coordination. Yes, there is a need for more cooperation in terms of, especially in countries where you have uh, different regulators. So they need to come together, even if it means uh, having like an MOU. You have coordination so that you have a national policy and all of that. And that takes me to the last part. So we need to have a strategy. Some countries have done well in that, but every country as at now in Africa needs to at least have a fintech policy, right? And then after you have a fintech policy to speak to specific laws, right, that you come up with. Some of these laws do not need to be uh, acts of parliament. You can do it by way of subsidiary legislation. So when you have your policy, you have your 
laws in place. And then the next thing is uh, administration. And in that respect, it's good that we have, uh, will I see young people like us that to some extent we are knowledgeable in these things. So we also need to build capacity. So in a nutshell, that's how I think those are the issues I see with the regulatory regime. And that's how I think move forward in having a more robust regime that is able to tackle the issues that we have. Thank you so much, Ido, for that very, for the question. Yes, I, I think it, it's, uh, I'm really excited about even commenting on it. Yeah, so back to you. Thank you so much, Albert. Sia, I'm also going to pose the same questions to you. What do you think of the regulatory landscape currently and what uh, possible recommendations would you, would you give or proposals as to how we can best regulate uh, fintech could be fintech firms or fintech products from your perspective over to Sia. thank you chido um first of all i i i think that currently in most of the countries in africa are more traditional based the fintech disruption has even disrupted themselves has has like has sh- has shaked them a little bit in terms of uh, their regulations. So currently, everybody is trying to be dormant and not n- not ready for change. As mostly we Africans are not ready for change, it will probably take time because the rules and laws in place that were so were so used to. If how we had to adopt to changing into mobile money, it also took a it took a period of five to six years, and yeah, five to almost seven years for us to accept mobile payments. It's a change in Africa. There's 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 usually a tendency that we are not quite adaptive to change in compared to um, the developed countries. And I think currently the reg- regulations are strict. So, but there are some countries which are trying to regulate fintech in more of a principle based instead of a rule based so instead of us being ignorant and just saying no we this the, the regulation is this way this cannot happen i think we should we should have sandboxes we should be more principle based see how it goes because the only way you can regulate something is through seeing how it is and where you can place it has nicely put by Albert that they should not be so stringent on regulations. It should be something that actually um, enf- encourages, emphasizes on innovation because it is helping people. So what printer people do is finding a loophole. But the regu- once the government sees that okay, we can't we can't take control of this, they have a tendency of just blocking it. What I would suggest is that they should be more principle-based going forward with the regulation. They should, most African countries should actually give more into research. They should fund more into the res- in, in researching, in researching what fintech is about, how to go about it, because there's a lot you can actually find out and learn from other developed countries, from developed countries, from your neighbor countries, how they go about with their regulation, how it has helped so that you can actually input it in your own system. Just as the way we adopted some of the legislations from developed countries, from our colonialists, and then we tried to shape them to fit our own regulations in the same way that they should try and 
try and see what works for what country and how they can actually fit them in. And not only that, I also I also feel that apart from them having a research and trying to make it more principle based, it shouldn't be they should be open because if you try to put a regulation, fintech can't can't be just regulated with one regulation. I think Albert discussed this um, previously. It can't be regulated by one, by one regulation because if you regulate fintech and the innovations, another fintech innovation will come in. Another fintech startup will, will try and solve another situation. It's just to see how you go about it. So if they're more in a principle base, open up and, and, and be open to... The regulations have to be open to new innovations. It has to have it has to have a space for new innovations so that you can be able to monitor them and then regulate them. Otherwise, if you if you close your regulations, say, okay, we've regulated this and this, and, and that is it, a new thing will come in, and then you'd also go again shocked and trying to close it, put a rule on it and say, no, it's is not permitted, but I think that's the way forward that they should be taken. Those are my two cents. Wow, that's that's amazing. Thank you so much for bringing up the idea of regulatory sandboxes. Uh, if you look at uh, the developed economies, Australia, the United Kingdom, they are also trying to put in place regulatory sandboxes to ensure that whatever regulation they put in place, it doesn't stifle for uh, innovation or the growth of fintech firms. I'm going to ask you, Christine, uh, to speak a bit on regulation, bearing in mind uh, our time, but just say something about regulation uh, from a tech's perspective. I know you have said something before, but just speak a little bit more on that point in a very few minutes. Christine? Uh, Chido, thank you. And I, these are very good thoughts that uh, both Albert and Sia have shared, especially on the need to almost give it time, bring these fintechs in a place where you can observe them, see what is it that they're doing, what uh, developments are they making in the market, what, what, how are they operating, study them, understand them, then know what's the best way to regulate them. And this applies for all types of regulations, including uh, tax regulations. So what uh, Sia and Albert have said would equally apply to tax uh, regulations. But then also the other thing to say, which has been said several times, you know, what governments need to understand to be able to collect good tax revenue, there needs to be a robust economy. The economy needs to be good. Businesses need to thrive for you to actually collect tax. You can't, if you kill all businesses, you never collect any tax. So you need to nurture them. So I would say, especially for the tax regulations, it should be in the government's interest to nurture these businesses to grow because when they are grown, that's how you'll be able to make as much, to get as much revenue from them as possible. Chido, those would be my comments. Thank you so much, uh, guys, for such uh, an interesting conversation. I'm going to just give each one of you 30 seconds to give your final thoughts. If somebody who is listening and is going to remember you for something, particularly with regards to FinTech, what would be that final thought that you want to be remembered uh, for? So I'm going to, yeah, Albert, Sia, and Christine in that order. Just 30 seconds of your final thoughts. Okay, this is what I have to say. 
uh, I think uh, as uh, a youth from the continent, I am proud of uh, my peers for what we've been able to achieve. So in terms of maybe manufacturing or maybe in terms of producing hard technology, our parents did not do us so proud. But uh, I'm really happy to see that uh, the young people, right, with fintech, soft technology, they've actually really achieved a lot. And I believe that there is a lot that uh, we can do as a people in the continent. Uh, I believe that fintech has a lot of benefits for us. And I think that our regulators should step their game right, and do what is right, not to stifle it, but to allow it grow. Those are my final words. Thank you. Over to you, Sierra. I think that where we have started well and we can do better, there is nothing, FinTech has shown that there is nothing that is impossible in Africa. It has opened our eye that all those things we used to see on TV and on news, that also can happen in Africa. I I commend the people who are doing FinTech startups, and I feel like anyone who has an idea whether educated or you you have you plenty degrees or not, just get your idea on board because fintech has shown that anyone, at no matter what the background, they can actually bring and solve something and become something. So I feel like our governments and the regulators should give this opportunity and should actually base more on listening to people's ideas and. Try to and try to bring them up and innovate them more so that they can bring more solutions to the countries and Africa as a whole. Uh, Christine, what I would say, Chido, is this is very good discussions that we are having, and I would invite more people to actually even join this platform to exchange these ideas on such things. So that would be my remark. I like just anyone join these conversations because this is how you learn. This is how you know. Uh, what's happening in Nigeria, Tanzania, Kenya, Zim. That's the only way you get to learn these things and know how to move forward, your country forward. Thank you, Chido. I think my final thoughts uh, with regards to this issue, over and above what you guys have said, is to emphasize the role of the government or existing um, firms to try and incubate the, the, in, the new entrants into the market I remember having a conversation with someone who works for a startup and they were talking about how it's so difficult to try and get into the market, especially when you're in a new entrance. And I think we need to look at Malaysia during the COVID-19 pandemic, which was still uh, going through, but they had an initiative where the government was actually incubating uh, a lot of SMEs and startups so that they you know, they embrace the digital economy. So I, um, it's more or less like a call for African governments or policymakers to come up with ways so that these um, new entrants can be incubated because as you have said earlier throughout the discussion, there, there are a lot of benefits that can be reaped or that can be realized as a result of us actually having a vibrant fintech um, set space. I thank you guys for being part of this discussion and sharing your insights um, and also, you know, allowing you to keep your mind on some of these issues. I thank you also to the valued listeners who were with us throughout the discussion. If you've got any questions, guys, keep them coming. That's how we, we always come up with new content. I think, Christine, we also need to have a conversation later where we talk about regulatory sandboxes. And I think we'll also invite the same panelists to come and share insights again, particularly when it comes to regulation. 
so that we just have a, a conversation that focuses on the regulation of fintech. But for now, I thank you guys, and this has been an amazing time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.